0: Welcome to Brave Dynamics. This is your host, Jeremy Au. Leadership is harder than it looks. As a proven founder and Harvard MBA, I interview courageous entrepreneurs, executives, and investors every week. I also share my frontline experiences, coaching insights, and own professional development journey. If you're stepping up as a new leader, founding a startup, or venturing into the great unknown, this is the podcast for you.
1: Hi, Young Rock. Good to have you on board the show.
0: Hey, Jeremy. Thanks for having
1: me. It's really an um, honor to be here.
0: Well, it's exciting to hear your perspective because you bring, I think, three very unique perspectives. I think, obviously, the Korean and Japanese angle. Obviously, some of your in Southeast Asia intersecting with that. And, of course, your time at Recruit, which is one of the most low-key, huge companies that people don't understand at day probably work with or use every day, right? So yeah, it's a crazy thing. We have fun set of conversations. And obviously there'll be a transcript here on cherimiao.com and people get to discuss the insights here and there as well. So yang for those who don't know you yet, tell us about your professional journey from university till today. Yeah, sure.
1: So as we just mentioned, talk, I was originally born in Korea I grew up in Korea, but um, I moved to Japan for college. Originally, I was wanting to play a guitar in a rock band, but uh, at the same time, I was really fascinated with the computer, everything related to computers. So I decided to go to Japan for college, major in computer science. And then after graduate, I had an aspiration to work for a global company, although I was in Japan uh, from my experience in, in Korean army. So when I was in Korean army, I, I volunteered to go to Iraq where I saw a completely different world. I only world that I knew before Iraq was uh, Japan and Korea. Now it's a whole different world, right? So after graduation college in Japan, I wanted to work for a global company, and luckily I got a opportunity to work for Goldman as an engineer. So I was there for six years, but um, again, working for Goldman was great, but as an engineer, I wanted to do a little bit more than just working for internal system, right? So I decided to go to, uh, and I, I was fascinated with venture capital around the time. Uh, it was 2014, 15. So I decided to do uh, venture capital. I Well, I decided to explore venture capital in the US where the venture capital market is the biggest. So I applied for MBA programs. I, I, I got into Chicago, University of Chicago MBA program where I started my venture capital journey. I worked for as a part-time consultant for Arch Partners for one year where I build the ground knowledge of venture capital. And then I got connected to Recruit Static Partner, which is the venture capital arm of Recruit Holdings, which you just mentioned, one of the biggest congo in Japan. So, and in fact, back then, the Recruit Static Partner was the deactive CBC arm among Japanese CBC. So I got to know head of DEFON and I got into there. So I was there for two, three years and um, Recruit Holdings has a lot of subsidiaries, including uh, companies like Indeed, which not many people know. So Recruit acquired Indeed in 2000, 2012 for $1 billion and Recruit acquired companies like Glassdoor three years ago for $1.3 or $4 billion. So not many people know about it again. So yeah, so I was I was a part of Indeed Corp. Dab as well in the my last one year uh, with Recruit. So yeah, and that was my experience with Recruit. And recently, I left firm to start my own fund with actually my former boss at Recruit, so who hired me back then. So I was talking because we were pretty close. We were talking like a lot back then. He was a chief investment officer at MUFG, uh, which is the fifth largest bank in the world. So she, she is a CIO of one of the funds of MEFG. So, um, so we decided to uh, spin off and create a new fund. So um, we are now structuring the fund and raising the capital, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah.
0: Amazing. So tell us more about your early days. What was it like in your family growing up? Was it like about business or what made you go do business?
1: Yeah. So my father is an entrepreneur. So he, he was an engineer at LG Electronics, which is one of the Korean electronics companies. And then he was, he actually speak Japanese. That's why how I got interested in Japan. And because of his uh, entrepreneurship experience, I actually started my first company when I was in high school. I, um, because I, my father always took me to Japan whenever he goes to Japan. I, I was able to speak Japanese a bit back still, uh, already in high school. So I started importing stuff from Japan and sell uh, the stuff in, in Korea, which really didn't go well. I ended up like giving all those stuff to my family and friends. But yes, that was my, uh, my father is, is really influenced, in, in, uh, left a lot of influences on me in, in terms of entrepreneurship and exploring the new things. So I think that's one of the drivers that helped me to, to be here now.
0: Amazing, and what's interesting is that you kind of like transitioned towards technology over time, right? So why technology in the early days? It wasn't uh, it wasn't as obvious back then as it is today to go towards a techn- career in technology.
1: Yeah, so so when I was uh, so I got into Goldman in 2009, and back then we didn't even have a cloud. And I, as a server engineer, I was managing bare metal servers. So I literally ordered the server, waited for three months. So my our database uh, data center guys just install the server etc cetera, et cetera. But it's still it was really really good experience. But um, I think it was a little bit too early to have a really meaningful impact that technology can have uh, all different types of industry, including finance, right? As you can look uh, to look at the, what Goldman is doing now, that's fascinating. They have a their technology footprints are like huge now, even. So even in 2009, the technology division is the largest division in Goldman, but now it's even larger. So actually I was talking with my former boss at Recruit, uh, sorry, Goldman yesterday. So he is transitioning to one of the commercial, uh, commercial technology department, which didn't even exist, right? So anyway, so to, to answer your question, yes. It was fascinating back then, but I think the amount of the impact of technology that could have into the bank back then was uh, uh, limited compared to what we have today. So I think that was one of the reasons that, I, um, that makes me to think, to explore some other area where I can exert more impact.
0: Oh, wow. That's amazing. So that's a really interesting piece about it. Actually, I want to kind of, I think we kind of skip over your two years in the Korean military as well. So I want to kind of like dive into that before we talk about the more recent stuff. So what's it like, you know, not just being in Korea, but also in Iraq? Tell us more about your two years.
1: Yeah, so it was a really eye-opening experience. I I was not like a Special Force. I was uh, just one of these uh, administrative soldiers, which means I was basically assistant to our commander. So I did a lot of this uh, office work honestly in Iraq but still I had a chance to go outside of the camp and and so a lot of these you know Iraq local people engaging with a Korean army or US army and how they live and what's the the situation out there which really helped me think wait so this is a completely different world from what I knew I Korea is okay developed country back then Japan is a developed country and I didn't know other world other than those two countries. And when I saw the reality of what's happening in, in those countries, and again, it was 2005 and six. So it's just right after the war is over. So everything was devastated, devastated and, and every, everyone is uh, really appreciated with uh, really small things, for example. So in a nutshell, I just realized there is a lot of war that I don't even know. And first step I think I should do is to try out Whatever things outside of Japan and Korea to realize and, and learn the true things happening uh, around the world. So that was a really, really, and, and one more thing is actually, so when I was in the army, so all of my Japanese friends who were playing guitar or rock music with me. They started working for companies. They were like, one of them is, one of them is well, our drummer actually became a, like a semiconductor researcher. I'm like, what? You're now a researcher? So actually that, motivated me to study, study uh, for for work. So uh, yeah, a lot of things happened in the two years.
0: Oh, amazing. Let's go back. So why did you volunteer? I mean, to go to Iraq. Like, what was the reason for that? You know, take, take me there. You were like, were you like bored? Were you like excited? Were you curious? Why did you volunteer? Yeah.
1: I think the two. I think you used two right word: bored and curiosity. I, I don't want to generalize all the Korean Army experience, but two years, I, I was, we are basically doing the same things every single day for two years, right? And after one year, I'm just like, I feel like done. I don't want to do the same things like every single day for another one year, right? And then I just saw this news saying like, hey, we're recruiting these people. So I'm like, why not? I volunteered, volunteer and luckily, it was pretty competitive back then, but I, luckily I got into, so I got the training for like a three month, which was another new experience because actually I was in the special force division. I mean, we were all the the special force division for the, only for the training, right? And that was a kind of eye-opting experience as well because I was not trained for that kind of things before, right? It was short, but it's still a good experience. Yeah.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And as someone who was also in the military for two years. I totally understand what you talked about. Bored and curiosity is a <laughs> big
1: emotion. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And the war was over around the time. So I thought, oh, it may not be dangerous anyway, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what we always think, right? Yeah. I'm <laughs> so I'm at least before we talk about it, but what do you think you learned from those two years in the military? So, you know, every Korean has to go through the military. Every Israeli has to go through the military. Every Singaporean has to go through the military. So, so you know, there's a lot of people who, they have to go, right? I mean, for the Americans, all those that volunteer, that's a bit different, right? But for people who have to go, a lot of people go in and they're like, Oh, I have to go. It's a waste of my time. There goes two years of my life. So, what I don't know, like, is there advice
1: you would give them about how to think about the time? Sure. I mean, so it's it just very stereotypical advice, but um, I actually managed to study a lot when I was in uh, army. So I didn't speak English at all. I don't know how you're, whether or not your family did the, the scale of the TOEIC, the TOEIC test. I was like bottom. So I uh, took the opportunity to study English back then, and I also passed a few uh, like a certificate. So instead of just complaining the time, I just inc- I would like to encourage other people to try to proactively spend time for ourselves, right? Yeah. And then for me, it was really good experience to have a, this feeling of the team. It was my f- very first time to have a very strong feeling with being a, a member of stronger community beyond myself. Especially when I was in Iraq, we we couldn't really leave the camp. We had to do like a, do stay in the same places for seven months doing the same things with these 20 people in our company. So we built a really strong this like a feeling beyond the level. So it was a re- really good experience and, and really helped me to have a similar, try to build a similar experience even now uh, with our team members.
0: Mm, amazing. So kind of like, I guess going from there, after there you went off to Goldman and then you're working in Japan. It's interesting, right? Because you've been someone who's Korean, but but you work in Japan, right? And it's not a common. I mean, everyone. I think in the West, everyone is like, "Oh, that's those two countries are the same, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the same part of the world, the next to each other." Is like, but for us in Southeast Asia, we know that Korea, Japan, the the border is a little bit. It's not the physical border, right? It's the cultural border, right? So, so why why did you choose to work in Japan and, and Goldman? Yeah?
1: Honestly, I didn't really think too much. I was working in Japan, I, I was studying in Japan, so I was hoping to get a job in Japan instead of going back to Korea. Because once I go to Korea, probably it's, just, it's more challenging to come back to Japan. So while I'm staying in Japan, why why don't I even have a job here, right? And um, obviously Japan is a much larger economy, meaning there's a more opportunity in terms of the jobs and professional experience. So uh, for example, Goldman was not recruiting any New grads for technology division back then. I don't know now, but Golman Tokyo is recruiting for the engineers, engineers in, in, as a new grad, right? Surrounded by those opportunities that I didn't have in Korea. So I just decided to work there the and stay and ended up staying there for more than a decade, but um, I'm happy.
0: Wow, amazing. I mean, I think there's really something there, right? I mean, for me, similarly, I was applying for Bain and I was like, should I apply for Bain, Los Angeles, where it's very warm? <laughs> or should I apply for Bain, Singapore? And I was like, ah, uh, and then my mentor was like, how does this go to Bain, Singapore? You know, and I was like, I'm glad I did. It happened that way, but I wasn't very sophisticated as a <laughs> job applicant <laughs> back then. I was like, Los Angeles, California is warmer. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, my choice was like, like that too. Yeah.
0: So what was it like? I mean, obviously, before then, you already spent some time, obviously, in Japan. But what was it like? Did you feel like you had to learn the culture or obviously you had to improve your Japanese, I guess? But I'm just kind of curious, what did you feel like you had to learn while transitioning from Korea to Japan?
1: So a lot of people ask, like, hey, do we really Japanese hate Korea? But honestly, I think it's, it is. But, well, it is for some occasions. But it's happening everywhere. And it's happening even within the same country, right? So honestly I didn't really have a strong like uh, experience with any kind sort of very terrible discrimination I never had I was there for like 14 15 years I never had In fact I had a really good friends I not still I have good friends my wife is Japanese who I met in Goldman 10 years ago and at the same time I really like a terrible friends in Japan but you know what? I have the same things in Korea. I have a really good Korean friends. I have a really like terrible, terrible friends in Korea. I mean, they would think I am terrible friend too, right? So I think it's really not about like a, I'm Korean, I'm Japanese, or, or, or I, where I live. It's really depending on who I am hanging out and who I am. And plus, because I was there for a long time, and because I didn't have really a language barrier that really helped me to even further build that kind of relationship with them. In fact, I'm more comfortable working with Japanese companies now than Korean companies because I really have a limited experience working with Korean in my career.
0: Interesting, very interesting. So you worked at Goldman Sachs for six years, and then after that, you decided to do an MBA, right? At Booth University of Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> My wife is a University of Chicago, booth MBA as well. Oh, yeah. So, oh, really? So, I used to go swing by Chicago in the middle of winter. Uh, I was totally mind blown by how cold it was. I was just like, what is going on? <laughs> it wasn't that point, Yeah. She would always like chat with me. I was like, hey, Jeremy, like, did you know some, some runner died running outside from the snow? And I'll be like, why? How does that even happen? I mean, I'm really sorry for the family, but. Like, it's so cold, right? Anyway.
1: But, Jeremy, I got to say this. the Boston is also, you know, pretty on par on, in terms of the winter, right?
0: True. But I think Boston doesn't have the wind, see? Because it doesn't have the, you know, it has the cold, but it doesn't have the wind chill, right? That's a big
1: one, right? That's true. That's true.
0: And so that, so when I went, I thought it was cold in Boston and I went to Boston into Chicago and it was even colder and I was just like freezing. And I was like, okay, you know, I need to get back to the equator as <laughs> soon as possible with <laughs> my coconuts and the beach, right? You know, so why, why did you decide to do an MBA at the time?
1: So in a nutshell, as as a, as everyone, every MBA student knows, I, I was a career switcher, right? And MBA is a really good platform for a uh, career switcher. And plus, I wanted to explore this venture capital industry in the United States because that's where this industry is heading uh, most, right? Leading most. most. So that's why I decided to go to MBA in the U.S. So I didn't even apply any MBA program outside of the U.S. And yeah, that's why I decided to go to MBA, which where I had a really good experience, including the winter.
0: What did you learn in the Chicago MBA?
1: Yeah, that's a common question that I get. But, um, I think most of the things I learned is, uh, is, of course, like I learned a lot of what's the term sheet, what is the negotiate those, you know, things, what's the venture capital industry, blah, blah, blah. But I think that's something I learned more uh, when I start working for the actual shot right, on the, on the job. But, um, I don't know. I just, the biggest asset for me was to just have the experience being in that kind of environment. Everyone's motivated. Everyone, a lot of people is having, having the same motivation, same aspiration, same dream. So I still have a lot of friends from Booth uh, who are in the venture capital industry, who are in the starting uh, community. So uh, that experience and the, the friendship were the biggest takeaway for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting because the MBA feels like something that obviously Continues to get more popular for some reason in technology. So we were on a clubhouse earlier, and then people, you know, the Indonesians were having a discussion like MBA, you know, in technology, how does it work? Right. And I think that someone was recently put an article out like all the top US technology firms are all now led by MBAs now, except for Elon Musk. He's the only non
1: MBA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In fact, I think one of the interviews he said like, Hey, what do you think is the problem with the corporate America? And he said too many MBAs. So
0: <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's funny world, right? Yeah. So yeah, so 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 you know, you were at University of Chicago, you were there for two years, and then you got to work for a little bit in Chicago. And then you left there at the an MBA and then you joined recruit. So why did you decide to choose to join recruit?
1: so i had a back then like a few options with well, three options work for very niche uh, corporate venture capital based in u.s so they are very um sector specific VC in the physical sciences space and other option is a micro vc in the u.s they are very small but um growing fast And the, the other option was a recruit and when i was thinking like my next journey the most thing that i have and Have to build is experience and track record, right? And when I with the Recruit, I knew uh, because of the brand, because people know Recruit. I, I mean, the people who know Recruit knows their value, right? So they actually had a good access to the quality deals only because it's Recruit. So when I took a look at the portfolio of Recruit search partners, I noticed like it invested a lot of good companies, in fact, uh, in the US, right? On the other hand, for the micro VC, actually, maybe I will have more exposure, but it might be a little more difficult to get into the competitive deals. And the other CBC, it's just too niche. I cannot really go once I get in there to other area, expand other area, right? Oh yeah, the recursec partner, they are like, their industry focuses very well. So they are in B2B, like a FinTech, blockchain, they were doing improvements much everything. So that's why I decided to go to uh, Recursive. Oh, another reason is uh, because it made of so many investment. It has a really qu- it has a quite a lot of these co-investors, uh, co- and one of the co investors was actually uh, the Booth professor. So when I uh, spoke with him, his name is IRYs and he's a GP at Hyde Park Ventures, which is uh, one of the top, uh, oldest venture shop in Chicago. And when I spoke with him, he strongly recommend Recruit out of among those three options because of their credit record and experience that I can build there. So that's why I decided to work for Recruit, and which was, uh, I think, one of the best decisions I have made.
0: So for those who don't know about Recruit, because it's so low profile, and I remember, I think a few years ago, discovering Recruit, right? And I was mind blown by Recruit because I was like, I've never heard of this company. But so many people are using this all around the world. How about you explain it, and then I try to explain it.
1: Sure, sure. By the way, Jeremy, you're one of the few people who know actually, Recruit um, outside of Japan. So the Recruit is started as a HR magazine for college students, and and still it, the college student HR business, recruiting business is one of the biggest their uh, business. So it started around 50 years ago, but over time, it expanded into other areas as well beyond HR. So for example, it also has the, it has a like a Zillow, the real estate, you know, marketplace type of play, uh, platform called Sumo. It also has a secondhand car marketplace. It also start building like an open table like a system as well. Again, it start building a lot of these small other business which grow so big. So all this like a second hand marketplace that that is the biggest second hand car marketplace in Japan. The Zillow type of a uh, platform again that's the biggest marketplace in Japan. It has also things like a Hot Hot Pepper which is a uh, the gourmet uh, uh, marketplace in one of the biggest in Japan again. So it. Success was transformed from just HR company to other marketplace businesses along with the growth of their core business, which is HR. Now, around 10 years ago, they start thinking, well, we could start thinking, well, we should continue to explore a new opportunity, right? That's how we encounter the opportunity with Indeed. Back then, the Record platform they were, there's a, sale, a bunch of salespeople, right? The salespeople go to company and recruit, find the job information and list it in our recruits website. But what Indeed does is they scrape all those information without human's touch, right? And we could have thought, oh, that could be really, really threat for us. So that they acquired Indeed. Glassdoor is the same story. It has a lot of this uh, review and it's a marketplace, right? So let's think about it. Indeed is before hiring, right? And we had so many, Indeed is the biggest marketplace, by the way, in the world now. So it has massive, massive information and data before hiring happens. What Glassdoor has is a data after the hiring happens because they review their experience at work, right? So I think this is another example of how Recruit is increasing their reach into different vertical, different area in the same horizontal as a result now it's a, uh, I think seventh or eighth biggest company in the, in Japan with a nine, around $90 billion market cap. And the next, as a going forward, I, I'm very, be- very bullish with Rico because I, I really like recruit people and recruit company. And I'm pretty sure their focus is uh, the global market going forward. And I'm confident. And next CEO, actually, who is become a new CEO as of this April will be based in Texas where the Indeed headquarter, is headquarters located. So the globalization, our global strategy will be even more strengthened and we'll see a, a lot of more interesting stuff coming.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And thanks for sharing the history and dynamics. I mean, I think the part for me is surprising is because everybody in America uses Indeed and everybody in America uses Glassdoor, right? And so those are two big ones. I mean, of course, LinkedIn is the third one that's adjacent to it. But people just post jobs and indeed, and people just review companies on Glassdoor, right? And if you ask anybody, they'll be like, Oh, this is obviously an American startup that's growing and very successful. And then I was like, wait, he was, but then it's still run by the Japanese who have been very silent about it. Like it's not recruit dash. It's indeed right, and of course, the indeed, folks are very independent. They're still growing the leadership team. It's very, so I thought it was a very interesting model as well as where recruit has given its investments a lot of free reign to pursue the strategy that's optimal. I thought, and that's quite rare actually, because I think we hear of other companies in Japan who are investing in different companies and they're a little bit more hands-on about their strategy, right?
1: Jeremy, I think you made a really good point. In fact, we could acquire a bunch of, bunch of companies all around the world. And why people keep saying about Indeed? Because that's the one who, which was, which became so successful. And the secret, one of the secret sauce of that is actually hands-off strategy. As you exactly mentioned in the past, we could try to hand, hands-on. Uh, they try to get involved in their management, which didn't really go well. And some of them, well, went okay, but indeed, they just let them and just provide the capital and resources to grow, help them grow. And that's how the indeed became so powerful currently.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And yeah, it's just mind-blowing because it's just like, because you know, you always hear about all the you know, Japanese conglomerates or the Japanese investors who are very hands-on and it's about a Japanese way, Japanese leadership style and it's all over the press, right? And then the returns are like, Okay, good. But recruit has been great and they're not in the press. Like Forbes isn't writing about it. The Financial Times is not writing about it. Everyone's like it's very like low-key. And I'm just like very different, right? And then, you know, obviously you were at a corporate venture capital. So I think less about this role, that role per se, but for a lot of people, you know, we see a lot of corporate VCs getting formed, especially now today. Zero interest rates, and you know, so all these corporates are all trying to figure out what to do with their cash and see how these technology firms are growing up. So there's opportunity to make money, opportunity for strategic partnerships, opportunity not get left behind. But you know, tell me, tell me more. Like, what's it like to be at a corporate venture capital? Like, what is a corporate venture capital fund? Maybe just for those who don't know yet, and then we can go into what makes one successful.
1: I think there's a a lot of different forms of CVC, but in a nutshell, corporate venture capital shop, when people call it corporate venture capital shop is there is a corporate who is dominantly investing in the specific fund, and that fund makes a strategic investment. And when it comes to strategy, what strategic investment means is they often pursue, they make investment for the strategic return for that uh, corporations. And when it comes to, when I say strategic return, it could be really, it could vary uh, depending on the uh, the companies. But for example, recruit, when I joined the recruit partner, recruit strategic partner is part of recruit R&D. So our strategic return is uh, find alliance opportunity. It was not must, we just wanted to find the opportunity and collect information of what's happening in the market. So that was our core core mission and, we had uh, our CEO uh, visited uh, some of those portfolios every year just to feel what's really happening in the front line of the startup scene.
0: So the Japanese really did a ton of CVCs, right, over the past uh, 10 years. Uh, Is that because of the low interest rates in Japan and everything? Is that a big reason or was it because of like Japan wanted to do it? I'm just kind of curious uh, why there was a wave of CVCs.
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think it, a lot of people forget, but Japan is still the third biggest economy in the world. They have a massive ca- amount of capital, massive m- uh, size of the economy. But the thing is, uh, it's not really evolved in the past couple of decades. When people ask, hey, what's the, the major company in the US? They, they may say Google, Amazon, Apple, which are like, how old are they? 30 years, 40 years? When you ask, hey, what's the major company in Japan? Sony, Teora, they're 100 years ago, hundreds years old, right? So there have not been no innovation. But one thing I'm really bullish about is Japanese, they are smart. They're super smart, right? They finally start realizing they need digital transformation and innovation, right? So And they have money, right? They have capital, so they start using those capital for the innovation digital transformation and having the CVC is one of the mean to achieve that. So a lot of CVC actually make investment not for the money. So even, for example, they when they make a, a investment, their investment, the proposal doesn't really have a word saying, hey, we expect this amount of return, we expect this amount of valuation. They don't say that. They just say, hey, we want to make investment because uh, we see this kind of synergy or were uh, potential for the digital transformation. that could help for, for for their company. So I'm really looking forward to see more and more coming, and uh, at least stay as a third biggest economy uh, going forward.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think it's something that we're definitely seeing a lot more of uh, everywhere in Europe and America as well, and they are also you know exploring companies in Southeast Asia. So that's really interesting. So for someone who's exploring. VC, et cetera. What skills are needed to be successful in corporate venture capital?
1: So again, I think there's a, a lot of different types of uh, CVC. So the required skill set could be really different. For example, when you say, uh, when I, as I mentioned, I was in the uh, Indeed the Group there and they have uh, the venture investment team as well, but their investment is more like a various, it's even more, is close to acquisition, right? So there, all the team members were there back then was, uh, have either a management consulting background or investment banking background, right? And I think that's one of the uh, skill sets, uh, CBC one. On the other hand, for me, for example, I didn't have those kind of uh, experience, but I wasn't, en- because I was an engineer, I'm familiar with this technology and this, um, coding stuff, right? So that's how why I was leading the blockchain investment, which is uh, relatively which require a little bit of this hands on or technology understanding, right? So um, I, th- I think it's really depending on like role and the company. One thing I really interesting I found interesting was uh, when I was in a booth, I visited a general catalyst, which is one of the venture shop in the area, right? And the lady that I, I forgot the name, but lady I met then there was actually a former reporter. So she's a professional interviewer, right? Which means that she is, uh, she's really good at collecting and getting information out of the conversation, which is a very, very important attribute to become a successful VC, right? So I think that there's a whole, and, and, some, some people have a really strong background in cybersecurity and who became a cybersecurity VC, right? Because it's, uh, it requires, sometimes it requires a second expertise, right? So, uh, it really varies, but, um, I think most important thing is the curiosity, I guess. Yeah. Because uh, you have to explore a lot of these in the area, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you think about corporate venture capital, obviously, and then being, it's different from the investment team at a company itself. And I don't think people really understand that, right? <laughs> because they're like, oh, I'm taking money from the CVC means I'm taking money from the mothership, right? But it's not, right? It's two different groups of people, two different mandates. So how do you, how do you explain it to people?
1: I I think is a the example that I use, an easy example that I use is Google Capital and, and Google Ventures. So when it comes to Google Ventures, I feel it is more like a CBC. They make a, a early stage investment. It's more close to traditional VC. On the other hand, Google Capital, they are more like a private equity, traditional private equity, cooked like activities, right? So if you if you take a look at like portfolios and the type of investment and amount of the size of the deal they they make, it's pretty different. And I think um, that's a good way to start to understand how they are different.
0: How should a startup engage a corporate VC? Like how should they talk to you? How should they have a conversation with you? Do they approach you and say like, oh, you are the company, or should we say like you you are a VC? Like how, how should they approach the conversation?
1: I think it's the same with the financial VC, because it, after all, they are just another investor in the cap-, cap table, right? So I think it's just just treat them, please treat them the same. But one thing I would like to ask is uh, you may want to be, they may, may want to be a little more patient, because when it comes to corporate, they have process because it is a corporate, right? I mean, because of that, we, we people have a CBC to streamline the process, but still, a lot of CVC, from my experience, have a process as a corporate, right? So it takes some time, a little longer than traditional VC. But if the startup thinks there a new strategic synergy, we're having them as a cap table could make any an synergy for their future business. Please be patient a little bit and, um, and engage with them. For the rest of the part, please engage, engage with them like uh, any other financial VCs. I
0: actually like the one about being patient. Actually, that's, uh, that's an important tip for a lot of <laughs> many people, right? Because it takes time, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think one thing that's interesting is also a lot of, uh, startups, obviously they say something like, Oh, I should go with this corporate VC because I want them to become a client of mine. Right. You know, they say that, Oh, I want to join this incubator by this firm because I want a company to become a client or make me give connections. How true is that? Is that very likely? Is that very independent? Like, what do you think?
1: So I think it's going back to your one of the previous questions. So when it comes to CVC, I often see there are not necessarily mandate to work together for something, right? But I would encourage you startups to still work with them for future opportunity. Who knows? Right. And on the other hand, for the, the investment side, like hope debt investment side, from my experience, they often see a little more synergistic expectation. So they have, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone have that kind of arrangement, but I feel they have a little more chances to have that kind of engagement. And some, some companies have uh, like a basic uh, contract or arrangement to help those startups, to start up to use their services, for example, for this kind of prices or uh, something like that. So that's a, I think something different. But when it comes to actual business arrangement, it I, I would say just don't expect too much, day one, because it doesn't happen all the time necessarily.
0: Yeah, that's really good advice. Because I think at one level, because don't expect too much. <laughs> you know, what be aware of that. That's number one. And be patient. <laughs> and be patient. <laughs> and then number three is if you really want that partnership, you gotta to go to the cop dev. Whereas the VC is going to act more of the connector, the advice, the insight from my perspective as well. And so obviously, you know, Recruit is across Southeast Asia. You had moved your HQ for that. Like, tell us more about Southeast Asia in your eyes. Yeah.
1: So first of all, Recruit has a lot of business in Southeast Asia. Uh, one of my, A few of actually my colleagues were in Southeast Asia as part of Recruit. But unfortunately, I didn't have a chance to be part of that, that area. But uh, when I was leading the blockchain investment, we built, we launched a blockchain fund token fund in Singapore. So we explored a lot of countries, including Cayman, Switzerland. So like uh, three candidates we had at the end of the day were Switzerland, Cayman, and Singapore, and we chose Singapore for two reasons: one, reputational risk; two, the regulation perspective, right? So the Singapore was very favorable in terms of regulation. It was still, it was 2018. So still the blockchain crypto regulation is very in the gray area, but at least Singapore had a very clear guidance uh, compared to other countries. Plus, from the tax perspective, it's much more, much favorable, right? And from the reputation perspective, it's a lot better than Cayman from the corporate perspective. Again, Recruit is one of the big, largest company and our CEO doesn't want to answer question. Hey, why do you build uh, this uh, blockchain fund in Cayman, right? So we didn't want our CEO to answer that kind of questions. So we decided to go to Singapore. Yeah,
0: yeah it was interesting because I think people don't really see and understand how like, Singapore's favorable financial regulators has actually brought a lot of investment and a lot of talent to Southeast Asia. And obviously, if the investors are here, they start looking at Southeast Asia deals, they start looking at... Southeast Asian talent. So it's really interesting to see that happening. You know, I'm just kind of curious. Like, you know, obviously, you had a chance to be in both Korea and Japan. How do Koreans and Japanese think about Southeast Asia for technology? Yeah?
1: That's a good question. Let me start from Japanese perspective. Although I'm not Japanese, I think I'm. I have enough experience to to share my uh, my thoughts. I think Singapore is a very favorable country for Japanese. In fact, a lot of businessmen, not only for businessmen, actually, the celebrities spend time in Singapore for many reasons. First of all, uh, it is a, a very good country for tax perspective, as I mentioned, right? And number two, it's very, very close to Japan in terms of the crime rate, in terms of how clean the street is, right? And number three is, I think well, a lot of Japanese, I feel a lot of Japanese wants to find a way to to use English more because when you when you live in Japan, you don't really need to speak Japanese at all, right? But Singapore is uh is not close, but it's it's not too bad, and as I mentioned, safe safe enough, food is great, streets are clean, and people speak English, right? So because of those reasons, I think a lot of people find the Singapore very attractive countries to live. Yeah, in fact, it's not about like a Japanese, Korean things. But when I was in Goldman, I heard a lot of senior people from in Hong Kong moved to Singapore back then because it's much attractive from from their perspective. So I think it's still happening now given the situation we have in Hong Kong. From the Korea perspective, I can say from blockchain investment perspective, Korea and Singapore are in Japan as well. I think a very uh, strong, uh, they build a strong reputation in the blockchain startups and investors, right? So one of the investors that I'm close with is based in Singapore, so I work with them a lot, and I, I saw a lot of Korean blockchain because people from Korean blockchain ecosystem spend time in Singapore as well. So I hope uh, there are more opportunity for those uh, for three countries uh, work together now only for blockchain, but also uh, other area going for.
0: Yeah, amazing. Well, definitely we're seeing uh, Southeast Asia. Is seeing many Koreans and Japanese all hanging out and welcome, welcome. <laughs> you know, everyone's welcome to hang out and uh, chill and relax. I think kind of like any closing here. You know, when you look back and you think about life, if you could travel back ten years in time to meet your younger self, what advice would you give yourself?
1: Uh, that's a good question. No, I think I, I'm just happy uh, with myself right now. So I think uh, just Problem. just going to watch him doing uh, what he's doing and um, try to not to disturb him from... Honestly, like, I made a lot of mistakes when I was like 10 years ago was like my second or third year in Goldman, right? I was learning a lot. I, I made a lot of mistakes. It was really, sometimes it was really painful, right? But um, and looking back, it was a really, really, good really experience for me. Uh, I learned so much. That's why I still like, love people in Goldman and, and, and like the country, the company itself, right? Like I uh, could. So I don't know. I'm probably I'm just going to do the same things uh, even if I go back 10 years. And I believe, I, I have to, I, I want to believe that I was, that I did I just write things in 10 years ago.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Young Rock. Thank you. Well, if you want to hear more uh, interviews like this, uh, go to jeremyow.com and there'll also be an opportunity.
1: I already listened to a few episodes, so <laughs> I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. Awesome. And uh, there'll be opportunity to discuss uh, this episode and insights on this as a group community uh, when we talk about this. So thank you, Young Rock, for coming on the show.
1: Thank you so much, Jamie for having me. It was really fun.